Hey, thank you so much for gathering with us wherever you are and whomever you are with. We're grateful for the opportunity to be with each other. Uh, we believe that we have an incredible opportunity, albeit awkward and uncomfortable, but still an influential opportunity in this season to slow down, dial in, and as we gather in these community groups, uh, to allow a faith to be developed in us that is more personal and more practical. As a reminder, we are not meeting in community groups because we cannot meet another way. We have chosen this way, the elder team with many others. We've had lots of conversations, prayed through, and really feel like in this moment, what we desperately need is more intimacy with God through connection with other people, not just getting into it. And yes, we are in the shadow of a pandemic and there are lots of circumstances surrounding, but we have to ask ourselves, what is God allowing this for? And, and we do believe it's an opportunity for us to have real intimacy with him and more connection with people. And so we hope uh, you have found or formed a community group. If you haven't, you need help doing so, please reach out to us, info at lifechurchvirginia.com, and we will do our best to connect you in this season. You know, last week, uh, we... Uh, invested a practice, spoke about investing a practice of communion. The three simple ingredients that are involved in communion are food, uh, the acknowledgement of Christ and what he accomplished on the cross, and other people. Uh, I asked the whole church, within the 21 meals of a whole week, maybe take four and celebrate communion. I did that a few times myself personally, with the church staff, with my kids, with our family, and I found it to be uh, a few things, but primarily interruptive. I found it to be helpful in causing the normal days, the normal routine of a day to kind of be interrupted and everything come to a screeching halt and think about who Jesus is for me, who Jesus is for the staff as we sat around a meal, who Jesus is for Zoe and Asa and Jude, and hearing it from their mouths was challenging. I also found it to be instructive because it caused me to look inside myself and see if I had engaged the cross, if I had accepted it fresh that day and allowed my own life to be impacted by it. So I hope the practice of communion, when you gave it oxygen to breathe, as we said last week, was beneficial for you. Uh, the practices we find are that way, but they do need space. Speaking of practices, I, I want to briefly talk about the series artwork. I don't usually do this, but I want to talk through imagination and practice artwork. It was designed by our own Jay Goodwin, who's incredibly gifted. Uh, but these things, imagination and practice, I don't usually do this, uh, but I want to this morning. Uh, both are imperfect and they are in need of our constant attention and reformation. We have to continuously come back to them again and again, uh, practicing and imagining. Imagination, for me, is at the core of us. They are our internal narratives, the, the thoughts that we think. Practice, quite simply, they're the lives we live, the, the actions we speak and realities that we step into. They're the patterns and habits that we engage. Biblically speaking, the imagination is incredibly important. Uh, Proverbs 23, 7 said, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Uh, Paul exhorts us that we should take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Paul goes so far as to say that even being around people who might think differently would frustrate who you are and what actions you perform, that bad morals corrupt good habits, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. 
And I also exhorted last week, and something that's been just resonating in my spirit is when God comes on the scene after Adam and Eve have sinned, and he doesn't talk about their actions. He doesn't talk about what they did. He doesn't talk about who they were interacting with. He asks them, who told you that you were naked? Who changed the things that you were thinking, the, the notions of your imagination? Biblically speaking, practice is important. As we exhorted last week, communion is something that we are to enter into daily. 1 Corinthians 11 talks about remembering what Jesus accomplished. Love in the New Testament is a thick, thick theme. And it's not just love of emotions or love of affection, but it's the agape love. It's love of action and doing and serving. Finally, it's the follow me of Jesus. Not just his thoughts and his preaching, but the life that he lives, the activities that he engages in. Follow me, he says. Practice. Do what I do. And the reality is, imagination influences practice, and practice influences imagination. Our oldest son, Ace, is an incredible basketball player, and he's doing workouts and trainings, and he's being trained to be a different type of basketball player, and the new coaches that are speaking into his life are giving him really specific things to practice and new moves to work through as he's making a transition from a power forward and a center to a point guard or a shooting guard. And before you know it, he's practicing these moves, and he makes another combination. He puts two moves together and he has a new combination. He uses his imagination, but only on the heels of practicing and going through. So we understand that they influence one another. When we imagine differently, we can practice differently. When we practice differently, new modes of imagination are opened up to us. My personal journey with Holy Spirit finds impetus oftentimes first in imagination, which is why our series names that first, imagination and practice. Imagination is the essence of where we are, which is why it's the font that's block and hard and fast. This is also why practice comes second and seems a bit sandy and unstable. It makes me think of Jesus being approached by Nicodemus. And Jesus makes a simple statement that you have to be born again. This simple statement to us anyway, because we've heard it, but Nicodemus is like, born again. He doesn't have a slot to put that in. So what he does is he draws from his actions and his ability to practice life as he lives it. And he asks Jesus a question, am I supposed to crawl inside the womb again? What does this look like? Jesus is giving him a practice, but only first must change the way that he imagines, the way that he thinks. I see this in no greater place in my own marriage, as Tanya often encourages me to different practices, different ways of living. And that allows me to imagine a life that I could never live on my own. But I would never be able to do that if my wife didn't call me out, if my wife didn't suggest something or or tweak something in my life. So our scriptures that we're going to read, Matthew 4.19, Revelation 3.20, and Romans 12.1 and 2. Let's read them together again. And he, Jesus, said to them, follow me and I will make you. Revelation 3.20, Jesus, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Romans 12. 
Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Father, we just invite your Holy Spirit into these moments. I invite you into these community groups, these conversations, these relationships that are being built on the Word of God. And we ask that you would just quite simply mold us and shape us, make us more into your image. And in this shadowy season we find ourselves in, God, nothing truncates your ability to grow us, to heal us, and to change us. And so we just ask that you accomplish that. We make ourselves available for that. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. And amen. This series, Imagination and Practice, we're going to be looking at the life of David as he provides for us a, a beautifully imperfect creature, a human, as I've said, of the highest order, rife with incredibly great intentions. The Bible goes so far as to say that he's a man after God's own heart. And yet, there's a mixture of failures and sins. The supernatural aroma, because David's a king, he's a conqueror, he's a unifier, he does so many incredible things, and we can sometimes see him in this supernatural sense. But the supernatural aroma of David is never really overwhelmed by the stench of his normal humanity. David is all over the landscape. We know him as a young boy, we know him in middle age, we know him in death. We know him as a conqueror, as an incredible provider and unifier. We know him as a murderer and adulterer. We know him as one who runs into the battle. We know him as one who runs away. Today, I want to talk about what it means to begin in a box. Because we, like David, we all begin in a box. And when I say box, I mean a frame of mind, of self, a certain way that we see the world and more importantly, how we see ourselves fitting into that world. Often, our boxes feel like fact, but more times than not, they are the imposed fiction of others and ourselves. In the life of David, we see boxes that he beautifully breaks through. Others would try and place him in, but he beautifully breaks them to become who he could and should be, who God had destined and hoped for him to be. And I want you to know that God has destiny for you, that God has a hope for you. Jeremiah 29, 11, like you spoke a couple of weeks ago, that I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a hope and a future. God has a hope and an intention for all of our lives. But others, and the way that we see ourselves, often give us an alternative reality. They try to box us in. We're going to look at four instances in the life of David. In his actual beginnings, there are many places we can draw from where people try to box. These are not things that only happen when we're young. Uh, but we're going to look at four in the very beginning of David's life where others tried to box him as well as how David broke through those efforts to box and to contain him. And I hope they will offer us ways and means to break through the boxes in our own lives with Christ. So the four areas in 1 Samuel 16 and 17, I, I simply want to mention them today uh, and then we'll talk through them in a moment. 
there's Jesse's devaluing of David. It's his, his father leaves him out and forgets that he's even uh, around. In 1 Samuel 17, one of David's older brothers is just rude to him, assigns intention to David, and simply tells him, hey, you're wrong, you're unfit, you shouldn't be here. Saul, the king, has a low opinion of David, and he tells him such. He's like, you're just a young boy. You're not able to do this. You're incapable of fighting Goliath. And finally, David's battle with Goliath, 1 Samuel 17 Goliath just screams at him. He's like, what are you? You're just a dog. You can't be, you're not going to win. You're going to lose. So the boxes that are placed over David's life are simply this, that you're forgotten, you're not important. Another box of you're wrong, you're unfit, you shouldn't be here. Another box is simply people looking at you and saying, you're incapable. Or the final box of Goliath You're never going to mount to anything. You're never going to win. You're only ever going to lose. Most of the boxes others and we ourselves put on us, demean us, they devalue us, and they denigrate who we are. Point being, if you have any of those sensations, the reality is you're probably being boxed. Someone is trying to truncate who you're supposed to be. Maybe they're not trying to be malicious towards you. Maybe their insecurity is pushing them to do that. It doesn't matter the reason, but something or someone is trying to box you in and not allow you to become who God has intended and hopes for you to be. Now, on a side note, We all have coaches and mentors and parents and spouses who would speak things to us that should hurt. Last week's message, this should hurt, is a good thing. People want to craft us and and help us become who we are intended to be in Christ. I'm not speaking to those voices. I'm speaking to voices that you discern with the counsel of others around you that they are trying to limit who you are. Looking at these box instances more uh, succinctly, more in depth. The first one, Jesse is David's father. And the prophet is coming to town and gathers Jesse and his children together because he's going to anoint one of the boys. And the reality is that David is left out on purpose. And the prophet asks, are all your sons here? And he, Jesse, said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send for him and get him. And then Samuel anoints David to be king. And it's this beautiful moment of energy and calling and invitation. And then David goes back to the sheep. You see, how we break through the box of somebody forgetting us is receiving God's word, but then also recognizing our moment is in the process of a season. We often don't like processes because they take time, but David doesn't mope. He doesn't get frustrated. He doesn't try to rush into being king. He simply goes back to being a shepherd because that's the season of life he's in. He doesn't negate the promise of God. He doesn't forget the anointing of God, but he lives in the moment in the season that he is in. David receives the word and continues to do what he knows as something that is within a process. The next box of Eliab's rude assigning intention to David 
David has been anointed king, but he's still serving. And his father sends him out to bring him essentially bread and cheese to the front lines of the battle. 1 Samuel 17, 28. Now Eliab, his older brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Now, maybe that doesn't sound rude to you, but that just sounds like it tears David's soul. The older brother looking at him saying, who are you coming here? I know what you're really after. I know you're selfish. I know you're not really trying to serve us and, and be here. And the way that David deals with this box is, is beautiful. It's simple. And David said, what have I done now? What have I done now? You, you hear in that phrase, authenticity. You hear a lament. He doesn't gripe and complain and whine about it. He doesn't point fingers back, back at Eliab. He just says, what have I done now? He feels that pain, but he continues to be who he is. He openly hurts. In just a few verses later, he's talking with Saul. And he's telling Saul how he's going to fight Goliath. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. You're just young. You're immature. You don't know what you're doing. And he has been a war, been a man of war from his youth. David doesn't argue with Saul. He doesn't say, I'm older than you think. I'm bigger than I look. He acknowledges that, yes, he's young. But he goes on to describe, but David said to Saul, your servant David used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear or took a lamb from the flock, I went after him, struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. David acknowledges his shortcomings, but he also acknowledges his giftings. When people say you're incapable, don't argue perhaps to what they know, but understand that you know who you are. You know where you're missing it, but you also know where you make it. And finally, Goliath. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give you your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. You're not going to win. You're never going to measure up. You're always going to lose. Come on, come at me. I will take you down. And when David is boxed in that way, it says that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. He took all that he was and he rushed into the fray. He moved towards the engagement. He moved into the confrontation. He didn't settle back. He wasn't moved to a place of fear and not doing anything or go check. He said, I am David. This is what I have to offer with a sling and five smooth stones and I'm gonna run towards the enemy. I want to read a passage from a book, Leap Over a Wall by Eugene Peterson, that speaks of this moment. The same debased imagination that treated Goliath as important treated David as insignificant. The men who were in awe of Goliath were contemptuous of David. 
arriving with 10 loaves of bread and 10 bricks of cheese for his brothers in the army, David was treated by them with withering scorn. Their imaginations were so ruined by Goliath watching that they were incapable of seeing and accepting a simple act of friendship. The moment we permit evil to control our imaginations, dictate the way we think, and shape our responses, we at the same time become incapable of seeing the good and the true and the beautiful. But David entered the Valley of Elah, which is where the battle took place, with a God-dominated, not a Goliath-dominated, imagination. God was the reality with which David had to do. Giants didn't figure largely in David's understanding of the world, the real world. So we all have boxes. We all have boxes we have to struggle with, but we don't have to stay in them. And so for an imagination moment, I would just challenge you to think from the core of who you are that you don't have it all figured out. Imagine what others have said about you are not the final words. The thoughts that you have about yourself are not the final thoughts. They do not set your course or hem you in. Imagine God's words are more creative than anyone and anything else. From Psalm 144, Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues people's under me. We would be well served to allow our box to not be framed by our own thoughts or by the thoughts of others all the time, but by how God thinks about us. As opportunity today, I want to ask, do you know what box or boxes that you are beginning from in your own life? Do you have anyone who can speak to and encourage you out of the boxes. Maybe you help, need help in discovering what boxes you are in. You don't even know where to begin because it's been so prevalent in your life. It's just become white noise. Do you have people that you know? Do you have people who know you and can speak to those things and help draw you out? For our practice this week, I want to encourage everybody, challenge every single person to read the scriptures. And don't just check box off, but allow the scriptures to read you. And if you want to do a reading plan, hey, that's awesome. But I would challenge you every single day to read a passage of scripture that really speaks to your heart, that really engages you at the soul level. Recently, our son Jude has been reading Psalm 1, and he loves it. And it's been challenging him, and it's encouraging him. And the other day, I said, hey, have you read your Bible? He's like, no, I haven't gotten to it yet. I said, what are you going to read? He's like, oh, I don't know. I said, why don't you read Psalm 1? He's like, I already read that. I said, read it again. If it speaks to you, keep reading it. If it speaks to you, keep reading it. If it speaks to you, keep reading it. Don't just read the scriptures because you think you should. Read the scriptures because it makes you who God wants you to be. And so every day this week, I would challenge every person that's a part of Life Church to read the scriptures and allow those scriptures to read you. Let me leave you with a benediction. May we become aware of the boxes from which we are beginning and find God's ways and means to break through. May the scriptures encourage and ignite us out of where we are. May we commit to not box others. And may we remember 
that with Jesus, it only gets better.